The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Today's episode is sponsored by Jenny Kane. I mean, I was so excited that Jenny Kane wanted to sponsor RealPod because they have the most luxurious, beautiful, soft cashmere sweaters and iconic accessories that elevate all of your everyday basics. I recently got the cocoon cardigan in the color oatmeal and it is so dreamy. You've probably seen me wearing it on Instagram. It goes with everything. I just feel chic and also warm (laughs) when I'm wearing it. And I, oh my God, I need to get it in like so many different colors. The best thing though about Jenny Kane sponsoring RealPod is that they've given us such a generous discount code. RealPod listeners get 25% off your first order when you use our exclusive link, which is jennycane.com forward slash RealPod, all caps, no spaces. That's 25% off your order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com slash RealPod for 25% off your first order. Seriously, I get compliments every time I wear my Jenny Kane cardigan. My mom, Queen Laney, is obsessed with Jenny Kane. Cubby's obsessed with Jenny Kane. Everyone I know is obsessed with Jenny Kane. Just think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined and luxurious. That's Jenny Kane. It's a great gift for yourself this holiday season or for someone that you love. Trust me, if you give someone Jenny Kane, they will be thrilled. So head to JennyKane.com forward slash real pod, all caps, no spaces. That's J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com forward slash real pod, all caps, no spaces for 25% off your first order. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick Brown. And this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Welcome back to Real Pod, everybody. I hope you're having a great week. I cannot believe that Thanksgiving is tomorrow. It has just felt like the fall has absolutely flown by. It's kind of crazy. And then we're going to be right into the swing of December. And then it's the new year. And then it's 2024. I just, I can't believe it. It's kind of wild. I hope you guys are having a lovely week, whether you're celebrating or not, or you're with family or not. I hope you're at least getting some time to relax and unplug from all of the busyness and chaos of your usual day-to-day lives. Actually, the day you're listening to this, I will be having a Thanksgiving Eve dinner with my family. And then on actual Thanksgiving, I will be with Max's family. We usually, for the past two years at least, would do Thanksgiving with my family and Christmas with his. But this year, we are flip-flopping it. But it is clutch that my family lives in California. So my mom was like, no problem. I'll just have a Thanksgiving dinner on a Wednesday so that we can at least have a family dinner in the spirit of things. So I'm kind of having two Thanksgivings, but it will be nice. And I'm glad that everyone will be together. I am also really trying to be mindful of the blessings that I have and feeling that gratitude and taking that moment to think about the things that I am grateful for. I need to probably increase my gratitude writing and journaling and all of that. So this is just a nice week to really 
just be grateful. And even if you're not celebrating this with family or with people, you can just be grateful for your experiences and your growth and that you keep showing up and the little wins that you've had, you know? And I think it's so important for us to celebrate ourselves as well because, you know, shit can be hard. (laughs) So we all need to pat ourselves on our own back. Speaking of family, though, today's guest is in one of my all-time favorite movies, I guess like movie series slash sequels ever, Cheaper by the Dozen. You've heard it. You've seen it. You love it. Cheaper by the Dozen and Cheaper by the Dozen 2, which honestly, Cheaper by the Dozen 2 is so good. It is debatably better than the first one, which is wild because usually any sequel is never as good as the first. But I'm obsessed with those movies. That's actually, that's a fun Thanksgiving week watch. But my point is that today's guest is a renowned actor, singer, and dancer. They've been in Cheaper by the Dozen, the Step Up franchise, Camp Rock, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, Phineas and Ferb, been a background dancer for Missy Elliott, Eminem, Outkast, Will Smith, and now has their own podcast called Dear Hollywood, where they talk about what really lies behind the curtain of childhood stardom. Our guest today is the beloved and insanely talented Allison Stoner. You're going to love this conversation today. It is so eye-opening. It will make you think differently. And seriously, I just can't say enough about Allison's podcast, Dear Hollywood. It is so good. Allison goes episode by episode through topics like how Hollywood culture leads to narcissism, broken family dynamics and child stars, eating disorders and body image in the industry, kidfluencers, revealing the $8 billion industry of minors and content. I mean, Allison's podcast is amazing. I love it. It is so well done. And I'm so grateful that Allison came on RealPod to talk about that and also share their story and give us more insight into what was going on in Allison's life when we were watching Allison on TV. So without further ado, let's get started with today's episode featuring the one and only Allison Stoner. Allison, welcome to RealPod. I'm so happy to have you and it's so great to meet you. It's nice to meet you as well. I was listening to your show this morning. I'm so so honored, so touched. I was listening to yours as well, Mm -hmm. Dear Hollywood. It's remarkable. It's like truly, I mean, from the storytelling to the examples you're giving and then the analysis and the assessment of child stardom and all these things that I've never really thought about before. But the biggest truth is that everyone has really like idolized this idea of like being famous. I think Mm. if I asked any of my friends when we were young, like we all wanted to be famous. Sure. I'm watching Cheaper by the Dozen thinking, I wish I could be in that movie. I wish Mm -hmm. I could do that. Who didn't wish they could do the like thing on Disney? I wished until I got to do it. Did you do that? That's so sick. (laughs) And even then I was on set going, is this going to be as good as Hilary Duff's? Is this going to be as cool as Raven (laughs) Simone's? Wait, honestly, we need to take a side part. What is that like? What are you like? Are you holding a green screen wand? Here's the trick of it all. It is a green screen wand. However, when we're watching at home, we've all been practicing backwards because once you're on camera, you have to flip it in okay. reverse. So I thought I had the geometry <laughs> <laughs> down pat until they said, by the way, you have to practice. You have to actually demonstrate it the other way. And I thought, no, there oh goes my, my- 
perfectionistic attempts. Oh, wow. That's so true. I need to, <laughs> did you get to choose your color? No, 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 no. We oh didn't see anything. I, I don't even remember what the backdrop was. I think mine ended up just being against a white backdrop. But <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. But <laughs> to everything that you stand for, there's so much happening behind the scenes that mm-hmm. we're not seeing when it comes to child stars. Right, right. And I appreciate you noting the other layers of the Dear Hollywood podcast that I'm producing and releasing right now, because I think a lot of times when people hear the topic and they might be familiar with someone from previous work, the assumption is, oh, this is just going to be about them either sharing the sensational, dramatic horror stories, or it's going to be very self-centered. And the mission with this podcast is so much larger. I do infuse each episode with personal anecdotes, but the main focus is, one, I need to help you understand the fuller picture of what's going on in terms of child labor and in, in entertainment. Two, we also have very real and concrete things we can do to improve what's happening in the industry. And three, there's an opportunity here for us all to reflect on what was happening in our own childhoods, the dynamics we had within our family, within school, within whatever systems, you know, you participated in. And and so there's it's it's a much more kind of holistic and comprehensive analysis of childhood development and mental health and, you know, It doesn't take much to look at the statistics around young child performers or high performing children and academics or athletes. You do see these really big peaks in mental distress or mental illness. And I'm not here to compare and contrast suffering among young people at all. Like that's really not the intention. It's hmm, this is really interesting. What are the causes and effects here? Simply put, and then what can we do about them? And it's your personal experience. You're going to care and have passion for that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I do a lot of work when it comes to student athlete mental health. Mm -hmm. Does everyone have mental health? Yes. Are there so many important groups and causes? Yes. Mm -hmm. But that's the experience I had. And so I have this really unique tie to meeting student athletes. Right, right. And you can speak to the nuances of what they're experiencing before and post you know, event or meet or what, whatever, you know, sport of choice. And similarly, you know, my my team and I were building artist well-being toolkits. It's not because artists are the only ones who need well-being toolkits, but not everyone outside of the arts needs to listen to a five-minute guided meditation on how to enroll into character and how to get out of character after you've just portrayed a really traumatic scene. So it's, yeah, you know, coupling your lived experience and then if you've self-educated or you've gotten any kind of certifications or you just know you can, you know, promote these certain, you know, tools for self-empowerment, then like, yeah, couple, couple your lived experience with your areas of expertise, find the community and serve. And so, yeah, that's what I'm doing. But I recognize that the concept of fame is more universal. It is this broader thing that kind of plays on our hearts and psyches in such interesting ways, but it's, it's when you remove the romantic view of fame, it really makes so much sense why we would be drawn to it. It promises to fill some of our deepest biological needs around, okay, if you're famous and hopefully you're also rich, which is not true, but you know, Mm -hmm. then, okay, so we've got access to resources and I don't have to worry about, you know, shelter and food and whatever. Then you've got some kind of status and visibility, which we conflate with a sense of belonging and relatedness. Everybody loves me. Which is not true either. Mm -hmm. But that's the illusion. And then, you know, third, there might be this sense of contribution to the world. Like, 
you have more significance and it's validated by all of this external applause or whatever. Again, that's also not necessarily true. (laughs) So it makes sense why we would be drawn to it. And there's a whole industry that actually would say, go for it and reinforce it until the day we die. For those of us who are like, wait a second, I think there's, this might be an illusion. And we start digging deeper. Thankfully, we have the chance to deconstruct, free ourselves from, you know, feeling attached to the industry as that solution. And then hopefully we can, yeah, heal and feel more whole and live a more conscious life. <laughs> Not to take it to go the there. Existential crisis real quick, please. <laughs> but as you say that, it makes me think of like even the Olympians I've spoken to, mm. it's that same pursuit. You know, someone in a, the working world who wants to make all this money and become the CEO, like, but what we're all not waking up to is the fact that we like deep within us, like can tap into this deep sense of being and enoughness that mm. like already exists. And I've been learning about this and are you familiar with Eckhart Tolle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love his book, A New Earth. And I have a spinoff podcast with my best friend. So much to say where we're reading it, but he's just talking about how your ego is trying to, to get all these things right in this external validation but really you you have the ability now to tap into this sense of like wholeness, oneness, divineness. Right. And we're like, we'll spend our whole lives ignoring it. He gives this analogy of it's like a person who doesn't realize they have 10 million in the bank. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's wild because when I think about each of us almost as a, a puzzle piece, and if I'm going in and I'm not aware that I'm already the full puzzle and I see myself as just a piece, then whenever I'm trying to connect with someone, even let's say just say a romantic relationship, it's coming from that place of lack and incompletion <laughs> and incompleteness. If I take some time to identify all the parts within myself, including the ones that scare me, the ones I'd rather reject and deny, the ones that look real messy, but I integrate all of those parts of myself into a sense of wholeness. Now we're talking a real sense of liberation from only ever reaching out to someone from that place of lack and need. Now I'm showing up to you as a more whole version of myself. I say all of that knowing like it's a process. So growing up, of course, I leaned on people to figure out who I am. And if you want to get existential, like who are we really except for this amalgamation of all these different influences we've had, our genetics that we didn't choose, mm-hmm. the ideas that we were fed, the society we're in, da, 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 da. Like, yes, Allison, I can say there's a, a selfhood of some sort there, but really, I'm just an entity comprised of all these other yeah. little pieces. I think about that even with my name. I got married, and so mm. I like took my husband's name because I wanted to, but I feel like if someone says Victoria Garrick, which is my maiden name. I'm like, that doesn't feel like me. But if they say Victoria Brown, I'm like, that doesn't feel like me. Mm. But Victoria Garrick Brown feels like me. But then I tell myself, this is dumb. It's words. I'm like, (laughs) my name could have been Sarah. Like, it doesn't mean like it doesn't make me who I, you know, I follow. I follow what you're saying. And my best friend and I will joke. We're just like, I am period, (laughs) period. Like or like open blank space. Yes, yes, yes. Love that even more.
I am so obsessed with Cozy Earth. Not only did I wear Cozy Earth pajamas the night before my wedding and I woke up in them and I gave them to all my bridesmaids and I'm just so obsessed with my Cozy Earth PJs that that is what I wore all day in my bridal suite and I still wear them every single night. They have black, they have a pinky color, they have a white color. I just love their PJs and I love, love, love their sheets. Max and I have been using Cozy Earth bedding for two years now. Yeah, it's been two years. Max and I are not the only ones that love Cozy Earth. Oprah actually loves Cozy Earth. It was one of her favorite things in 2018, the best-selling bamboo sheet set, which is temperature regulating and incredibly soft. And that is the one that we use. And I promise you, the moment you take this out of the packaging, you will be like, whoa, this feels incredible. And you know what? That's a great gift for yourself or for others this holiday season. You can give the gift of ultimate comfort with Cozy Earth's loungewear or their bedding. Think about being at those festive moments this holiday, but also staying comfortable and looking stylish. It's really the perfect present. And guess what? Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for RealPod listeners. You can get up to 40% off site-wide when you use the code RealPod. That's 40% off site-wide when you use the code RealPod. This is an exclusive discount for RealPod listeners only, and you have to use the code RealPod, all caps, no spaces, on the Cozy Earth website for up to 40% off site-wide. Happy shopping. I promise you won't regret it. If you're needing new bedding or you're wanting to upgrade your bedding or upgrade your bathroom products and PJs, look no further than Cozy Earth. Okay, hear me out. If you're looking for that perfect gift to give your parents or your caregivers or just anyone in your life this holiday season, please look no further than StoryWorth. Hear me out. This is why it's the best gift. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. So basically every single week, StoryWorth will email your relative or your friend, whoever you're giving this to, a thought-provoking question of your choice from like a vast pool of possible options. You know, it could be like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Who was your first love? What's your biggest advice when it comes to marriage? And then after one year, StoryWorth compiles all of your loved ones' stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. I have given this gift to my mom, my dad, my Yaya. I cannot wait to get back the book of Yaya. I mean, just to have that for the rest of life and get to share it with my kids as well so they can get to know her. I mean, it's just so special. And with StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love the most thoughtful and personal gift from the heart, and I'm preserving their memories and stories for so many years to come. You can do this too. Just go to storyworth.com slash realpod and save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash realpod to save $10 on your first purchase. Hear me out. This is the best gift to give. I'm not exaggerating. It is meaningful. It's thoughtful. It's special. So head to storyworth.com slash realpod to save $10 on your first purchase. I don't know if you've ever tried different kinds of meditation, but a mentor shared this meditation. I call it the I am that meditation. And essentially you just spend, you know, let's say five or 10 minutes and you look around or sense into whatever senses are available to you. And anything that you encounter, you take a moment to identify with it and say, I am that. Like, I am this microphone. I am the person helping produce this podcast. I am whatever I'm seeing, the sun. And 
it's a chance to recognize the interconnectedness of everything. It's a chance also to create some distance between the story that drives us every day of like, I am Allison and Allison only does this. And to really just kind of, like you said, experience the open space of being and not the hard line. Mm -hmm. And then I say all of that and I'm like, let me contradict myself and say there's also important value in doing meditations around boundaries and knowing where do I start and where do I end? But all of this is like under this umbrella of self-exploration. And I've found that that leads to a sense of empowerment and resilience. And it feels so essential. I love that. And I follow it. I do. The other thing I'm thinking too is to do this self-exploration, to do this work, most of the time it is born out of like a pressurized Mm -hmm. situation where someone hits their like dark night of the soul where you, you then are led to ask these bigger questions. Right. Now, I'm sure when you were getting these really exciting roles and these parts when you were growing up and Chief Ride the Dozen, which I love, and then Camp Rock and being on Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. And can you talk about some of the success and like when times were really good? And then when did you start to notice that you were taking a turn? Sure. Well, I love the question. And I do want to clarify that just like with all of us, if you were in a more traditional school setting, sometimes your friends had no idea what was happening at home. And so they only saw you smiling in class. And for me, I I do want to lay out what was happening in my own home while these wonderful projects were taking place. So I am the child of divorce. I am the child of an addict. I am the child of abuse. And if I only talk about what was happening on set, we're missing these other critical childhood experiences that like probably more deeply inform my personality traits and, you know, coping strategies and what have you. So when I was on set, I think what I didn't realize is, you know, your nervous system is in sort of a a hypervigilant peak state when you're experiencing fame everywhere you walk outside you kind of you have to be aware that someone might come up to you touch you grab you yes it could be a friendly request for a photo it also could be a stalker when you're on stage and you've got thousands of people chanting your name well now you've got this other kind of adrenaline spike and there's can be beauty in here too so i'm not not saying all of this is bad Mm -hmm. it's just a hyper aroused state for the body to be in chronically and over time of course the body's going to have to return to balance. And if you don't make room for that, it will crash. And that's with all of us. So again, like I just happen to have this entertainment canvas, but we're all learning (laughs) to regulate and find balance in, you know, whatever our respective life paths are. And so, you know, speaking to some of the goodness, of course, I, I loved working with other young people. Cheaper was such a great example of that. Sean Levy was the director and he also, you know, looking back now and working with children myself, I can pinpoint who the safe adults were. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think Sean did a great job at building in break times between the longer hours and uh, making sure that when we were in school, we were actually learning the material and not just what we call on set banking hours that legally you have to fulfill, but, you know, aren't very productive. So loved working with with the kids, still have some friendship ties to a few of the the kids in the cheaper films. And of course, like the the art itself, I loved dancing. I loved the process of learning about characters. 
and how you can't judge a character you're playing or else you will get in the way of giving an honest performance. So you have to have compassion. You have to have empathy. There were lots of beautiful life skills, I think, gained in the process. And as I said, there was just this kind of chronic workaholism, hyperarousal, hypervigilance, and then things happening behind closed doors with my family. So but that's all of us, right? We've, there's yeah. always so many layers to what, what we're experiencing. And rarely do people know about all of them. I think what's challenging when you're in the public eye are all the assumptions made about who you are. And you don't really get a chance to explain yourself to people, nor is it even worth it because the criticism will come back tenfold no matter what you say. So that's been a tough learning curve. Yeah. It's one of the most important things I think we can all carry with us is how can I meet someone and try not to complete that who they are sentence. Mm. And I find myself always saying this and then falling into that trap with Mm. this interaction or this, and then always being so pleasantly surprised with vulnerability. So I love that you do that. And that's what you try to give to others in hopes that they give it to you. Something maybe you've coined is this toddler to train wreck pipeline. Mm -hmm. And you got into this industry at an incredibly young age. And we've seen people who got into the industry at the same time as you, unfortunately, end up in really unfortunate situations. And some of them are no longer even here. Mm -hmm. So when you reflect, what are some of the harder things for you to process about the environment that you were in that you felt like the public who craves fame or the girls who wish that they were you or that now you think back on and wonder, oh, was I robbed of my childhood in this way or the mm-hmm. innocence in that way? Ooh, I mean, that's so layered. And really, the best reference point is to go listen to the podcast because I, I have broken down each area of life and the different topics. You know, something that comes to mind is the psychology of auditioning. And at surface level, you think you're just kind of learning some lines, going into a room with a stranger, performing them, maybe getting some notes, trying it again, and then leaving. And and maybe you don't get it and that feels like rejection, but maybe you get a call back and blah, blah, blah. It seems pretty simple. But now that I have studied this for you know a decade and have some certifications in the space, and I recognize what's going on psychologically and neurobiologically in a young person's mind as they're portraying these scenes, it's wild to think that, let's say you know you're a busy young performer and you've got seven auditions in a week and three in one day, and you are legitimately contorting who you believe yourself to be, you're contorting your emotional state of being, you're perhaps enacting some really intense material. Maybe there's violence. Maybe someone in your family is supposed to be, you know, dead. Maybe you are the killer. Like, who knows? But you're in these intense scenarios. You go into this room and have to go to that place psychologically on the spot. And then the person who's recording you is completely unfamiliar. So as a young person, you know, when you meet an adult for the first time, you're kind of like, who are you? I don't know who I am yet. And where's my parent? They're not in the room with me. So, you know, is this a safe space? You don't really know. And then you leave and there's no moment to even process what just happened or come out of character. And so I realized as a kid, I was collecting these stories and actually 
embedding them as false memories. They weren't my own. They belonged to a character, but I, because I didn't have fully formed logic or the ability to separate between fantasy and reality yet, was storing them as if I had lost my mom, as if I had killed that person, as if I had lived through that natural disaster. And so, yes, I want to acknowledge that many people have actually had that experience and I'm not equating them. What I'm demonstrating or attempting to demonstrate is it's an unusual psychological experience to put yourself through even as an adult, let alone as a kid who doesn't have a fully formed sense of self yet. Mm -hmm. Another thing that comes to mind, there's something around bodily autonomy and I had no idea that I didn't understand boundaries at all because I only had one map of reality. And that was at any given time as a kid, strangers and adults can touch me and ask me to do anything physically. And my role was to comply and say yes. And it's scary now to look at the situations that I was in, but I think even more so some of my peers were in. And we didn't know that we were being manipulated. We were just trying to be cool like the adults in the room. But I have all of these stories. Like I, I constantly think about, I don't know if I put this in the podcast. It might be an exclusive. Woo. There was a, a young girl group, singing group. And the executives, before they started rehearsal, the label executives pushed a bag of cocaine across the table to them and said, you're going to need this in order to keep up with the rehearsal schedule. We'll have you on. It was painted as if it was a helpful aid to get them through their training so they could perform. These were like 14 to 16 year olds. And now their dealers also have power over them contractually. And so they're now addicted. They're going to these adults who can get a lot out of them because they're not only the dealer, they're also the executive, da, 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 da. So there's like all of these intense things going on that people like don't know about. They think you're just like having the best time of your life. And did you hear that through the grapevine or you know someone who was in this group? I, I know someone. Yeah. Got it. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, and just also like the idea of keeping your spot and staying relevant. And if right. I say no, they'll bring the next person in. Yeah. Creates this pressure to just like comply and just say yes and don't be difficult. Yeah, totally. Fame also, if I can just share these three statistics, I've put them on, you know, as many conversations as possible because it, it really pierces through our, you know, sense of being enamored with fame, I think instantly. First, fame through research has been proven to have the same addictive properties as abusing substances. So flat out, it can be an addiction. It is an addiction for people who experience fame. Second, so the lifespan, the average lifespan of a person experiencing fame, at least in the States, is 14 years younger than a non-famous person. So if you'd like to live 14 years less, I highly encourage you to become famous. And that's for a variety of reasons. And then the third is, if you're experiencing fame, you're four times as likely to die by suicide. So these three facts four alone. Four times? Four times. Wow. That's from some research from a person, I think Jib Foles. I might be mixing my research in my head, but, you know, definitely fact check me. I'm not here to spread misinformation, but I do want to be able to cut through the illusion that we have because the outside, of course, promises something very different. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the audition process, you've been open about your story auditioning for Katniss and the Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah. Would you be open to share that? 
Yeah, sure. First and foremost, I was a huge fan of the books. A year prior to that or around then, I had, I think it was like four or five movies coming out in one year. It was quite a busy time. But when you're a minor and you're trying to transition to adulthood, there's this like other challenge of trying to not get stuck as a kid star. And so you're like really doing whatever you can to secure your position. And many of my peers, you know, Demi, Selena, Miley, had music, had other business verticals, other roles that were helping carry them. And I was going, uh-oh, uh-oh, like time's creeping up. Well, simultaneously, I was also in the throes of my eating disorder. And and that really kind of dominated my daily experience. Like there's no other way around it. I had journals full of just recording what had been eaten and when and what exercise had been done. And, you know, started out with good intentions of just wanting to be healthy and then whew, escalated intensely. And so with the Hunger Games audition, you know, the, the role obviously describes someone who's who's lean, who's athletic, and in some ways, like, you know, is in survival mode. So you don't have like a ton of extra meat on your bones. And I, through my eating disorder brain, was like, okay, I think I have enough control here that I can intensify my training a little bit for the audition, but not, you know, not let the eating disorder take over. Well, definitely was not mentally equipped to do that. And so I went through a rigorous training process. I even dyed my hair. I thought about wearing, you know, color contacts, whatever I could do to, you know, create a better chance at getting the role. And definitely, you know, didn't even make it past probably the first or second round. And I was crushed, sure. But listen, like we've all been rejected thousands of times. So it wasn't just that. It was the symbolism of having truly given my all to this industry for my entire life, having given it kind of my last shot of like, can I can I do this? To what level am I willing to risk and sacrifice my health and my sanity to get a job? And in that moment, I realized, okay, the eating disorder really needs to be addressed. That has to be a focal point. And I have to re-examine my relationship to my job. You know, at six, I was working for seven. I was working full time, essentially. So it was in my wiring, right? Like anyone who is a student athlete or, you know, it's like you got to bet five to go to the ice skating rink. You got to bet six to go swimming before class, whatever. So, yeah, I had to do a lot of deep rewiring. But thankfully, I, you know, I I still I'm like I'm still a fan of the movies. I I still went to see them and was still excited about them. Uh, It just, it meant so many other things internally. If you're a longtime listener of RealPod, you probably already know that every single morning I drink AG1 and I've been doing that for over three years now. I started drinking AG1 because actually Max told me about it. So when they started sponsoring RealPod, he was like, wait, what? Jealous because he was the fan first. But of course, I became immediately obsessed because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. I'm not someone who likes to take tons of vitamins and supplements and pills for my health. So just knowing that I take AG1 and it's an easy routine thing that I do that supports my whole body health is everything to me. And since 2010, okay, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition. They're continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. And that's why I'm obsessed with them. I know that in the morning when I 
pour my glass of water, usually ice cold. And then I do my scoop of AG1 and I mix that and I drink that. I have given my body so many important nutrients that it needs for the day. And I don't have to worry or overthink about it too much as I intuitively eat the rest of the day. So AG1 is definitely the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. That's why they've been a partner of mine for so long. And if you are interested, it starts with AG1. So try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com slash realpod. That's drinkag1.com slash realpod. Check it out. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Look, right now we're in the holidays and sometimes that can be really hard for people. And I actually felt like last year's holiday season was one of the hardest for me. And that's why I was so grateful that I was in therapy because this time of year can be a lot and it's really natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it for a variety of reasons. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract those feelings. And therapy can be that bright spot amidst all the stress and change. Something to look forward to, you know, to make you feel grounded and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. I have therapy tomorrow on Thursday. So I'm just so excited to get centered before Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> could be a lot. Whole family's back together. And I just love talking things through and setting myself up for success. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash realpod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, better. H-E-L-P dot com slash real pod to get 10% off your first month today. You can do this. I'm so proud of you. Seeking help is one of the best things that I ever did for my mental health. And I've just never regretted it. And I can't say enough about it. So head to betterhelp.com slash real pod to get 10% off your first month. Was it that experience that was the tipping point that gave you the realization that you needed that external help in going to a rehab center? I knew that I needed external help already. So for I think maybe three or four years before that, I had worked with a dietitian. I tried to go to therapy, tried a couple different outpatient solutions, and I was still under contracts. So I couldn't take off three months to go get help. You know, I was like, working back to back. And then at the same time, the eating disorder, unfortunately, like it's reinforced in the industry because I was working. I think I did some modeling for Nike and I did a healthy living, ironically, a healthy living campaign with former first lady Michelle Obama. I did this series called Get Fit with Allison for We and I was painted as a, a role model of sorts for health and well-being. And, you know, I wish the perfectionistic part of me didn't grab a hold of that and make it my main personality trait because I became so obsessive. I was like, oh, I have to lead the generation. You know, yeah. I've got to be the most fit. I've got to be the best at this. Silly, silly. That's not that's not it. But I had been wrestling for for years. I think my, you know, the disordered eating, I would say before it became eating disorder, was probably around 11, 12. And by age 13, it was definitely, definitely qualified as several different eating disorders. 
and I wanted I wanted help, you know. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I should say it was both and. I didn't want help because I needed it as a survival tactic, but I also was like felt so helpless and and stuck in it. Mm-hmm. 80% of women are disordered eaters, but then mm-hmm. just the statistics of like how many people do experience eating disorders and yeah. I know that you've mentioned elsewhere that you struggled with binge eating and I yeah, yeah. had I struggled with that all through college. And it's just like this weird thing in society where you're encouraged to lose all this weight and look a certain way and weigh less. Yeah. And also the way that it was like you took this identity of being healthy. And then it's like a lot of unhealthy eating tendencies people would look at and say, this is amazing. And they'd praise you and say, you know, you're eating all these vegetables and you're eating locale and you're eating, you're not trying to cut out cheese, whatever the stupid thing is. But it's actually glorifying something that's making you really unwell. You know, I am less healthy when I'm not allowed to eat cake. Uh, (laughs) Right. Exactly. Mentally. Yes. And of course, it's so individual. So, you know, as someone whose tendency was toward restriction, I knew that a part of my healing journey was learning to be okay adding in more options. Whereas for someone who maybe feels afraid of you know, ever being told no, then there's some healing opportunities to recognize, oh, like maybe I don't need to have one of every single thing. Maybe there is some freedom to be felt in choosing an option today and then a different option tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like it's the healing and recovery is so individualistic and it's, yes, it's nonlinear. Like, you know, I circle back around to, to urges or behaviors every now and again. It's usually you know, during a particularly stressful time in life and my body remembers, it goes, oh, hey, I remember at 13, you used this tactic. How about that again? You know, and now I go, okay, that's, I know, I I appreciate you, you trying to use something that you thought worked once, but that's not really going to get us where we're trying to go ultimately. But yeah, I think, you know, what was a key part of my recovery was rebuilding the mind-body connection because I had completely severed trust from listening to my own bodily cues. I mean, I was terrified of them as well. Yeah. So there was a lot of trust building there to be able to use the term intuitive eating and to actually feel like, I will admit, it took me years of trying to practice quote-unquote intuitive eating before I finally woke up one day and was like, oh my gosh, I genuinely only feel like eating when I'm hungry. And now that I'm full, I'm actually okay walking away. Imagine. Oh my gosh. I'm an avid intuitive eater and I love it, but it it does take lots of time. And then it is that day where you kind of forget about it and you're like, wait, I've been listening to myself without even thinking about it. Yeah. And it's a longer arc of, of habits, right? Before it used to be like, I would calculate what I'm doing by every single meal or by every day or by every week. When in reality, like the ebb and flow of life I, it's it's okay. What have the trends been for the last month? What have the trends been for the last half year? But if I'm trying to scrutinize every single choice individually, like, yeah, I'm going to feel like I'm on a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, more for me, that's me. But you know, everyone listening, listen to your own damn body. <laughs> Facts. You mentioned Demi, Miley, Selena, some of those similar names and faces that were all coming up through Disney, Nickelodeon at the same time. Mm-hmm you know, Selena did her documentary on her mental health Mm -hmm. and Demi did something recently as well. And Miley, one of her recent songs I loved and she was wearing like a Mickey Mouse. And Mm -hmm. if you listen to the lyrics, it's really talking about like her journey. So when you see all that, are you like, yep, that's, that's 
most likely to happen? Are you like, this is so sad? I mean, are there people who you think are anomalies? Do you think the majority of people who experienced fame at a young age are going to struggle with their mental health? Oof. (laughs) I think any human who is thrust into such a unique scenario is going to cope in ways and have parts of themselves intensified and experience challenges. I do think that's, you know, you can't be in these extraordinary and extreme circumstances without being affected. We biologically are wired to be sensitive to what's happening around us and and to, you know, figure out how to respond. So I think for, you know, the folks you named, I actually just went and met up with someone you didn't name, but who's in the same group. And what was interesting is to see even within our individuality in terms of personality, we have some of the most uncanny, specific, I call them isms, you know, like idiosyncrasies that clearly stem back directly to being a a high performing child Mm -hmm. in the entertainment industry. And that's what I observe among all of us. I I did just see Demi not long ago, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about the experience of dissociation. And dissociation is, you know, common for many reasons for many people, happens in varying degrees. And specifically for kid performers, a lot of us share this experience of reaching a point in time where our bodies just went offline. Or, sorry, you know, that's a poetic way of saying it but we disconnected from ourselves to survive what we were going through and now we've got these pretty intense gaps in memory and so we get asked about like what was it like working on projects and I'm like I've got I've got lists of stories of how I answer but I actually don't someone reminded me of some projects I was in I didn't even remember filming it's like was I even there Mm. so there are I think specific things that we all will share that you know just like kids who were in another niche thing. Like, I'm not going to know what it's like to be a master uh, chess player. Right. And we just happen to be playing out our careers and our healing journeys in the public eye. So I'm not surprised at all to see each of them in their respective healing journeys, you know, documenting and sharing. And I always want every one of us inside and out of the industry to find that ticket, that pathway towards self-empowerment, resilience, Because from there, you can start to define what story you want to tell from here on out. And what about on the flip side of that? If I think about like, you know, Kevin Jonas, who seems to be happily married and like living a very charming life. And then like, you know, do you think when it comes to the child stars who once again, to your very early point, we never know. You don't. We never know. Answers in the question. Right. I guess I feel like though, when I think about student athletes, if someone told me they played a D1 sport for four years, I feel very confident that it's super unlikely given the high intensity environment that they would say, I never had a problem with my mental health. Right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yes, I agree. And I think each of us, It's funny because I was perceived, I think, for the most part, as the quote unquote stable one, quote unquote, like good kid. I would validate that. You know, because I didn't I don't drink. I don't smoke. I was in the church and didn't even date till I was 18. Like I was cookie cutter, whatever, goody two shoes kind of kid. And also was like, let me write a book report for fun and school is awesome. And so from the outside, you know, I think 
folks characterized me as sort of the the one who actually could have been wearing the purity rings. <laughs> Ironic. But in reality, that doesn't mean that someone's actually doing okay internally like whatsoever, right? Right. So my drugs of choice were achievement, were social approval, were, you know, goodness and having that good reputation. Like there was still an addiction to that. There was still deceit in that. I wasn't letting anyone see, even myself see the intense anxiety, the intense, you know, eating disorder behaviors. Like, so of course we can, we can look at someone and say, no, they look well adjusted. And now I don't want to assume that folks are suffering more than they are. I do mm-hmm. think, we, you know, we come into this world, we have different temperaments, different capacities through, you know, XYZ variables. Some of us can withstand more and not be as affected. I would say in, in some regards, my home space prepared me to be able to withstand a lot in the industry and not be as thrown by it in, in the way that some of my peers might have been, but vice versa. Like they have areas where Demi, Selena, Miley, the the um, amount of criticism and hostility that they receive every single day, I could not fathom how that would actually Mm -hmm. go down in my nervous system. So with how vocal you are about this issue, which is so important, what's the reaction been from the industry? I know you still work and you have great jobs that you sustain. So Mm -hmm. it's not like you've completely exiled it. And I'm curious also how your family feels? These are big questions. (laughs) Um, Well, the industry. So it's been really neat to receive feedback from people who are in different parts of the ecosystem. So for example, voiceover directors who I've been working with since I was a little baby to wardrobe designers to onset teachers, all chiming in. And not only, you know, saying they're glad the the podcasts exist, but adding their input because that's really the most important factor here is like, don't just listen to me, read the comments. And people are sharing about their experiences in the industry. Also, folks who aren't in Hollywood but have, you know, parallel cause and effect in their own well-being, like that's just as important to the conversation as what, you know, of course, I'm trying to lay out for everyone. So the industry... I think the way I'm approaching it, hopefully, is like I'm not here to condemn one evil person or the whole monster. It's really like, let's work together to improve this. It doesn't have to be that expensive, doesn't have to be that burdensome. And if y'all don't want to hurt people, I don't want to hurt people. Let's like address that. So I think people don't feel attacked. So that's good. Yeah. And that's the vibe that I get as a listener and a supporter of what you're doing Mm -hmm. is it's like, hey, this is this great thing, but there's a lot that needs to be fixed and adjusted for the betterment of the people doing this and to save more lives. Yes. Yes. Thank you for getting that because (laughs) the save more lives part is, of course, like that is central to it. And we are working with the legislators now. We, me, I am working with some some state reps on adjusting some language within a bill they're proposing to be more supportive of kid performers. And that's like wild. You know, this impact and, and action are core to what I value. So I'm like, the podcast, yes, let it serve the purpose of visibility, but also now what do we do with it? How does this translate to impact? family watching the podcast that is it's really complex so some of these topics we've talked about as a family 
Some we haven't in this way. Some I bring to them before it releases and I ask how they feel about it coming forward. Some of it, I, as an adult, am having to make the difficult decision to honor my truth and my lived experience, knowing that it isn't as mm, ideal for someone else. Yes, yes. And that's the hardest part because I know what it's like to be the person in front of a microphone and it's it feels so much more vulnerable than than you can predict when you're just watching someone else do it on your on your phone at home you know you're like oh i could talk about anything when suddenly your personal business is out there for the world it's it's harder than it than it appears and so i know having lived through that that if i'm now going to put information about someone else out there who's close to me this could affect their reputation it could affect a number of things not just our own relationship and so it's complicated but i'm also as i heal recognizing all of the ways that i have protected other people at the expense of honoring what my experience was and speaking can- candidly about some things that mm-hmm. really do need to be said yeah especially if we're trying to help other people so that's that's tough it's not something that i think i'm you know i'm towing the line and i don't think i'm nailing it. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. I feel like you just having that understanding is nailing it because, and it's a realization I've had to have with myself this year is like, well, who's my support? If I have to feel like I'm keeping secrets or I'm protecting someone else when like I need help or I want to talk to someone, who do I get a call? And can I trust someone? I feel like I relate to what you're saying. So I guess where would you say you stand when it comes to the industry and how you feel about it and where are you hoping it goes in the future? I think the industry was designed with adults in mind. So if children are going to be a part of it, we have to do some additional training and preparation and considerations culturally to create safer environments. That's easy. It's yeah, simple. Bring a mental health coordinator on set. Come on. We can do that. (laughs) Second, the industry is not the only industry that needs problems addressed. So I highly encourage folks to look at their sphere of influence, look at their own community, look at their own industry. And first, examine yourselves, of course. Then examine, you know, what's happening around you and ask yourself, what can I do? And I'm not expecting all of us to be able to fundamentally rewire everything overnight single-handedly. That's not going to happen. But we can do something about how we show up. And with the industry, I'm hoping with the strikes and with different things happening that we're considering human well-being, we're considering how to make sustainable productions, we're considering what's going on behind the scenes and not just what we're portraying at face value for audiences. So hoping for more transparency and understanding across the board. And then looking forward, you know, in my little sphere, I'm excited to share my well-being toolkits with acting schools, with agencies. It can be a preventative resource. It's like the the yellow, you know, light before you just go right through and don't know that you're mm-hmm. about to drive off a cliff. Like it's your it's your cautionary, you know, prep moment and families and kids can feel more confident in the choices they're making, what's driving them and how to manage the inevitable challenges that arise. 
Well, thank you so much. I think the work that you're doing is beautiful. And although we don't always want to struggle in life, we can make beautiful things from it and help others. And I think you're doing that. So thank you for coming on Real Pod. I love Dear Hollywood. I hope everyone listens to it because it's so eye-opening. And I, yeah, I just hope you have a great rest of your day and I will be following along. Thank you. Likewise. <laughs> Thanks for such a great conversation. Thanks. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real Pod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of Real Pod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or a review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with Real Pod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.